1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 21 of Allegiance. So where we left off, Tris was pretty much doing... Anything she could think of uh, except for reading her mum's diaries. She was going on joy rides. she's wandering around, she's talking to people, she's doing genetic testing, she's admiring statues, and she's like, you know what, maybe I should read that diary. So, like, uh, yeah, get to it, please. And Tobias, not much is going on uh, except he's been invited to a little meeting of all the other GDs, the genetically damaged people. That Nita girl wants to have a chat to him about it, so we'll see how that pans out. So chapter 22 is a Triss POV and she's reading the diary, praise be. She says that the last dozen or so entries in the file are no longer diary entries, they're just letters to this David character, who we know who David is. And methinks there was a little love triangle or David was a little bit too keen on Triss's mum and she wasn't keen back because she's friendzoning him in these letters. She's definitely laying down the law. And she's saying, David, I thought you were my friend. Well, I thought you were more my friend than my supervisor, but I guess I was wrong. She's saying, what did you think would happen? I'd come into Chicago and live alone forever that I wouldn't date. She says, let's get this straight. I'm not going to forget why I'm here just because I chose abnegation and I'm going to get married. I deserve to have a life on my own, but I still know about the mission, blah, blah, fucking blah. So from context clues, it sounds like David's like, oh, you should have picked Erudite. Why didn't you pick Erudite? You're ruining the mission. And she's like, no, it's not about Erudite. It's because you've got a little crush on me and I'm shacking up with someone in abnegation. That's the real problem here. And in David's defense, uh, she was sent in there to stop the leader of Erudite from killing genetically pure people. So yeah, maybe she could have done that more easily in Erudite than abnegation. I still don't understand why it was a years long mission. I kind of think someone should have just gone in there, sorted it out and left, but no, she's gonna go in there and get married and he's annoyed by that. And rightfully so. I'm on David's side here. So she's like, David, you better apologize or else I'm not gonna send any more updates, not to you at least. And I'm not going to leave the city to visit anymore. So she has been sneaking out. I love how they can't hide tattoos on her person. She has to build a whole backstory about her tattoos, but she's just sneaking in and out of the city somehow. This city with heavy surveillance, a giant fence around it. She's just popping out for catch-ups and no one's noticing. I I don't understand. So then Tris wonders about David. She's like, what is this David guy up to? Was my mum right about him? And then she's like, I can sort of tell that she's not the most accurate source of information when it comes to David. And I'm like, okay, come through critical thinking skills. And then she says, I can tell she's getting older in the entries. Well, that is how the passage of time works, Tris. She's like, I can tell she's getting older. Her language becoming more refined as time separates her from the fringe where she once lived. Her reactions becoming more moderate. She's growing up. And it's like, well, she's writing a diary. So by definition, she's, she's passing time with each new entry. Ergo, she's getting older, doll. She thinks she's cracked the code on this one. She's like, oh, I've got a hunch. I've got a sneaking suspicion that my mum's getting older with each entry. Yeah, bitch. And then she flips through the next few entries. She just doesn't read them because she's looking for one that's addressed to David again. And the ones she skips over are not addressed to anybody. So she just doesn't read them. <laughs> I'd be reading every single entry, but no, not Tris. So then she gets to one that's two years later and she says the date on the entry suggests that it came a full two years later. So they're dated. She's like, I I think from her language that she's aging. And it's like, well, you could also think that from the date at the top of them, Tris. Oh, she thinks she's bloody Inspector Pyro sometimes. So she says, dear David, I got your letter. I understand why you can't be on the receiving end of these updates anymore. And I'll respect your decision, but I'll miss you. I wish you every happiness, Natalie. And that's the last one. She says, that's the last journal entry and the last document in the file is a certificate of her death, which we, we witnessed. So I don't know why they had to leave that in. She says, the cause of death says multiple gunshot wounds to the torso. It's like, well, they gave this file to you, Tris. They could have maybe left that out. Just giving you the diary entries. I thought that was a bit cruel. But yeah, so what is the deal with this David and this Natalie? If I were Tris, I'd be knocking down David's door and saying, hey, were you stupping my mum? So then we cut to a bit later and she says, it's a sign of how desperate I am for information that I go to the control room with Zoe later that morning. And Zoe talks to the manager of the control room about setting up a meeting with David. So good, she's finally acting on that. And while she's in the control room, she's actively avoiding looking at the monitors with the security footage from the city. She's like, I don't want to be party to that. She's still got to be in her bonnet about that security footage, doesn't she? So she's standing there trying to avoid looking at the screens. Zoe's having this chat with someone trying to set up this meeting with David, which must be taking forever. And then she's like, all right, I'll, I'll look up at the screen. And so she sees Evelyn sitting in her bedroom. Now, I know they had security cameras everywhere, but, but in a bedroom? In the leader's bedroom? And the bureau? are tapping into the security footage that Dauntless is also monitoring. So Evelyn in her private chambers has left the Dauntless security cameras up in her room. They're not taking them down, even though she's the one that's just run a whole coup on the faction system. That doesn't quite sit right with me. So it must be a super teeny tiny little camera that she doesn't know about. And in fact, the whole place must be bugged. Because then one of the control room workers says, oh, this is the Evelyn cam. We track her 24 seven. So Evelyn's on her own little like episode of Big Brother. There's a specific cam that's just tracking her like it's the Truman Show. And Triss says, can you hear her? And she goes, only if we turn the volume up, we listen on mute because we get sick of hearing the chatter all day long. Um, again, she's the, the leader of the rebels. Maybe turn that shit up. And so Evelyn's sitting on the bed, staring at some little sculpture thing. And Triss is like, what's that? And the woman goes, oh, I don't know. It's some sort of sculpture thing. She says, she stares at it a lot though. And then Tris says, ah, I recognize it from somewhere. So she so she knew what the thing was. And she's asking this poor control room worker being like, what's that? And they're like, I don't know nor care. And then she's like, oh, actually, I know what it is. What, were, you, were you testing the control room worker then, Tris? What, what's going on? And so she's like, ah, yeah, I've seen that in Tobias's room. It's a little sculpture. It's made of blue glass and is an abstract shape that looks like falling water, frozen in time. So it's a a droplet. It's a statue of a little droplet, which is a nice parallel to the other art installation about dropping water that we've checked in on a few chapters ago. Lots of uh, sculptures to do with falling water. Makes me think, like, where the fuck did that come from? The Bureau drained Lake Michigan. They put up a fence around the whole city, They scrubbed the city of every like poster and advert for everything. Any mention of Coca-Cola, gone. History books, gone, completely rewritten. They just scrubbed the whole city of everything and then left this like little teardrop statue. How does that come about, I wonder? And so then she's searching her memory for what's in her little file of facts about what the sculpture is. And she's like, ah, yes, he told me, Tobias told me that Evelyn gave that teardrop sculpture to him when he was young and instructed him to hide it from his father because he wouldn't approve of a useless but beautiful object because he's abnegation. And Tris says, I didn't think much of it at the time. Well, why would you? But it must mean something to her if she carried it all the way from the abnegation sector to erudite headquarters to keep on her bedside table. Obviously it means something to her, Tris. She's sitting in bed caressing it. And she's like, maybe it was her way of rebelling against the faction system. What a shoehorned in clunky, chunky metaphor. So then she's watching Evelyn on the screen. She was very anti-surveillance until about three seconds ago when now she's just eyes focused on the Evelyn cam. She says on the screen, Evelyn balances her chin on her hand and stares at the sculpture for a moment. Then she gets up and she leaves. And so Tris is like, wow, actually, I don't think the sculpture is a sign of rebellion. Cool. I don't really care what you think. She goes, it's not a sign of rebellion. It's just a reminder of Tobias. And then she says, somehow, I never realized that when Tobias charged out of the city with me, he wasn't just a rebel defying his leader. He was a son abandoning his mother. How'd you never realize that? What? <sighs> I think she's super fucking selfish. For someone who was raised in abnegation, she is the most selfish person because earlier she forgot that four might've been a little bit worried or concerned about his father's trial. And now she never realised that he was not just dogging the new leader, he was dogging his mum when he left the city. How did you not think that through, Tris? It never even crossed her mind. Never even crossed her selfish, closed little mind until now. And now she's like, huh? Seems like Evelyn's grieving the loss of Tobias. And then she's like, wait a minute. Maybe Tobias could be grieving leaving his mother. So she has like a little mini revelation about that. But then Zoe's like, hey, what did you want to talk about? Wait, what? How did she not raise whatever she wanted to raise with Zoe sooner? Okay, so now Zoe, after having walked with her to the control room, then had a whole chat in the control room. Now she's like, oh, what What, am, what did you want to talk to me for? What? She says Zoe was young in the photograph where she stood next to my mother, but she was still there. <laughs> yep, that's how photographs work. So I figure she must know something. I would have asked David, but as the leader of the bureau, he is difficult to find. So, okay. I thought she was asking Zoe to set up a meeting with her and David, but Tris's has just bypassed that. And she's just hanging out with Zoe, who's talking to the control room to try and set up a separate meeting with David, just between Zoe and David. Nothing to do with Tris. And she's just waiting for her opportunity to say to Zoe, hey, can you tell me about this photo? Because I haven't had a chance to talk to David. So she never asked Zoe to set up a meeting with David. That was just a coincidence. But while that setup of the meeting was happening, she never said, oh, actually, could I get in on that? But now that Zoe set up her own meeting with David, Now she's like, oh, I can talk to you, Tris. And Tris is like, cool, since I can't get a hold of David, let me ask you about this photo. Uh, Did I get that right? Okay, now we're clear. So Tris says to Zoe, I wanna know about my parents. I'm reading her journal and I wanna figure out how they met. And Zoe's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll tell you what I know. Do you wanna walk with me to the labs? They're always doing a walk and talk. Tris is certainly getting her steps up around this airport. So then she has a little sidebar explaining to us why she's so attached to the iPad. She's like, I'm still holding the iPad. It's marked all over with my fingerprints and warm from my constant touch. I understand why Evelyn keeps touching that sculpture. It's the last piece of her son she has. Just like this is the last piece of my mother that I have. I feel closer to her when it's with me. Okay, yeah, very cute. But is that sculpture the last thing that Evelyn has of Tobias's? I don't know, he left in the middle of the night. I'm I'm sure he left some things behind. Surely. And she's talking like, oh, I know why she's so attached to the sculpture when really you sort of just brainstormed it out. You thought it was a sign of rebellion for like a hot minute. And then you changed your mind and said, no, it's actually about Tobias. And now she's like, I get it. I get why she's so attached to that sculpture. I'm the same with my iPad. And basically she's just justifying why she hasn't shared the iPad with Caleb yet. She says, even though I know he has a right to say it, I'm not sure I can let go of it yet. Yeah, I don't know, that seems selfish. That seems selfish to me. So Zoe, now while she's doing her West Wing walk and talk, she says, they met in a class. Your father, though a very smart man, never quite got the knack of psychology and the teacher, an erudite, unsurprisingly. Well, no, uh, you're right. It's not surprising since all teachers are erudite. The teacher was very hard on him for it. So Natalie, who was in Dauntless, was some sort of psychology expert. So she decided to help her dad, who was struggling with psychology, after hours as a study buddy for their psychology class. What the fuck? I didn't think that the factions were meant to be mingling this much, but apparently they are. He told his parents he was doing some kind of school project. And so then they started to meet in secret for several weeks. For someone who we thought might not know a lot. She's actually got a lot of context. She then says, they started to meet in secret. I think one of their favorite places was the fountain south of Millennium Park. Buckingham Fountain, right by the marsh. It's like, okay, bitch, so you know everything. And I love how she knows the name of the fountain for the crumbling, decayed city that has been locked up for generations. She's got to still orientate us and let us know that it's Buckingham Fountain that she's talking about. In Millennium Park, just south of it, actually, south of Millennium Park, right by the marsh, just in case Tris wants directions. And in what world is that a secret meeting place? Oh yeah, let's meet in the public thoroughfare near the fountain. So then Tris imagines her parents sitting beside the fountain under a spray of water, their feet skimming the concrete bottom. And then she says, although I know the fountain Zoe is referring to hasn't been operational for a long time, so there was no spraying water. Um, okay. So what's going on in your head then, Tris? If you know the fountain's not operational, why are you picturing it as operational? And if the fountain's not operational, why are they hanging near it? If it's a non-operational fountain in a city that Zoe's never been to, why does she know the name of the fountain? has Zoe got Google Maps out or something? Like what, what's going on, Zoe? And what's going on, Tris? I'm hearing too much about this fountain, to be quite frank. And so Zoe, who knows nothing, knows everything. She says the choosing ceremony was approaching and your father was eager to leave erudite because he saw something terrible. And Tris is like, what? What did he see? What was it? Okay. And so, okay. If Zoe knows this crap, it must be because Natalie has put it in her journal entries, but Trissa's has just skipped over these journal entries. So she's like, somebody tell me, I don't know the information. Like go back and read the journal then, dull, Or it could have been, I suppose, in one of Natalie's little trips back to the airport. Again, I don't know how she got over the fence, under the fence, through the fence. I don't know how she's got to have secret little rendezvous with Trissa's dad, yet she can also escape to the airport unnoticed. So that makes me think Zoe read this crap. <sighs> so Tris, go back to the files, stuff. Anyway, okay, so what did he see? Her father was a good friend of Janine Matthews. Oh boy. He saw her performing an experiment on a factionless man who signed up for the experiment in exchange for like food. And she was testing the fear-inducing serum that was later incorporated into Dauntless Initiation. And then Zoe says, long ago, the fear simulations weren't generated by a person's individual fears, just general fears like heights and spiders and stuff. But Norton, the guy who was killing all of the divergent people, he uh, was also there and he let this torture of this factionless man go on longer than it should have. And the factionless man was never quite right again. So he obviously had like a breakdown or something. And that was the last straw for her father. What? Okay, so meanwhile, I think we need to remember that if this was while he was still in Erudite, they would have been like 15. And so if Janine's 15, why is she the one running torture experiments on factionless people? There's a whole range of adults that could have been doing that instead. I mean, they shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But if someone has to be torturing factionless people, why, why are they recruiting from like the schools? but it goes a little to explaining why her dad hated the erudite so much. And also, I love that Zoe just knows this. They're like, oh yeah, we know that this um society that we've established to try and get genetically pure people, that they're torturing factionless members of that society. We are well aware that in our attempts to purify people, they are committing heinous atrocities and
0: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
2: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com
3: slash ACAST, code ACAST.
2: Yeah, we didn't care. And it's like, you can't tell me that it was a surprise that Janine Matthews, Nazi youth Janine Matthews, turned out to be so terrible. They can't be like, wow, we didn't really see that coming. Her following in the footsteps of the other crazy erudite leader, like, wow, what a shock. Ugh, this book. I think Maze Runner was a better book, guys. I'm just, uh, this is clunk. So then Zoe says, yeah, your dad wanted out of erudite. Your mother didn't wanna go in, even though that was her mission. So they chose to go to abnegation together. This caused a rift between your mother and David. He apologized, but said he shouldn't receive updates from her anymore. She goes, I don't know why he wouldn't say. Context, babe, he had a crush on her. And so then Tris finally is asking the question that's on the tip of my tongue. And she's like, okay, but mum was able to still carry out the mission and abnegation then, even though it was meant to be an erudite. And Zoe's so like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was fine, it was fine. And she was much happier there. And then she goes, of course, abnegation turned out to be no better in some ways. I don't know, I don't know about that. Not letting someone look in a mirror yeah, that's pretty bad. Torturing factionless people, uh, that's worse. That's worse. Um, I don't know if I'd be comparing the two of them. She says, it seems there's no escaping the reach of genetic damage. Even the abnegation leadership was poisoned by it. Which trips me up because like, if there's no uh, escaping from the genetic damage, then why are we fucking bothering? And Tris, she corrects Zoe and she says, well, actually, Marcus was divergent. If you're referring to Marcus for abnegation being terrible. He was divergent, so genetic damage really has nothing to do with it. And so he says, a man surrounded by genetic damage cannot help but mimic it with his own behavior. So why are we bothering? I thought the purpose of the Chicago experiment was to create genetically pure people. He is a genetically pure person who's also an asshole. So therefore, being genetically pure does not a utopia make. And if you're saying it's because he's still stuck with genetically damaged people, then get him out of the city. When you test people, when they're 16 and discover that they're divergent, that they're genetically pure, get them out of the city. Don't just lump them back in the city to get all dirtied up by the impure people. Oh, so stupid. So then Zoe's like, all right, I got to bounce. See you, Tris. Hope that helped answer some questions. And Tris is like, yeah, I guess. So Starts to think critically about what Zoe just said. She goes, Marcus was divergent, genetically pure, just like me, but I don't accept that he was a bad person because he was surrounded by genetically damaged people. So was I, so was Uriah, so was my mother, but none of us lashed out at our loved ones. I think she's forgetting the time where she killed Will, but okay, let's just skip over that. Also, she's lashing out at her brother right now. Um, yeah, actually, she's a bad person, even though she's genetically pure. Did she ever think of that? And so Matthew, he was eavesdropping and he goes, her argument's got a few holes in it, doesn't it? And she's like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, yeah, some people just want to blame genetic damage for everything. And Triss is like, yeah, I get it. Sometimes people just need someone to blame. She says, my father blamed the erudite all the time. And Matthew goes, erudite were always my favorite. Okay, Matthew, like, why are we getting a full, like, who's who on you, bro? Are you going to tell me you're a Sagittarius? Like, who are you? Who's Matthew? See the guy that did the genetic testing the other day, perhaps? I don't know, I don't care. I don't need to hear what your favorite faction was. And Tris is like, ugh, erudite, why were they your favorite? And he says, I don't know. He said, oh, thrilling conversation, Matthew. I don't know. He says, I guess I agree with them that if everyone would just keep learning about the world around them, they would have far fewer problems. It's like, okay, well, they're learning about the world around them from heavily restricted materials. They're not actually learning about the world at all. And Tris says, I've been wary of them my whole life. My father hated the erudite. We know, bitch. So I learned to hate them too and everything they did with their time. And then she's like, although now I'm thinking he might've been a bit biased. You don't think, doll. The fact that she's our moral center, I just can't. And she's like, well, you know what? Some of the erudite that I've met have actually been really helpful. She says, Will, Fernando, Cara, all erudite, all some of the best people I've known. However, briefly, she doesn't mention the fact that she killed Will. Uh, It's kind of her fault that Fernando died and she led to Cara being locked up for a little stint as well. So yeah, they've helped her, but she hasn't as much helped them back, Methinks." She says, what Janine did has nothing to do with a thirst for knowledge leading to a thirst for power, like my father told me, and everything to do with her being terrified of how big the world is and how powerless that made her. I think she's referring to how Janine knew that there was a world outside of the fence, but also Janine lived within inside the fence, so the world wasn't really that big, Janine. I don't know, I think Trish should stop trying to guess at what Janine was thinking, because Janine was crazy. So then Matthew gets his Spider-Man on and he's like, actually, that reminds me of a phrase. Knowledge is power, power to do evil or power to do good. Power itself is not evil. So knowledge itself is not evil. With great power comes great responsibility. He's just throwing out all the cliches about power. And she's thinking like, yeah, I don't know. Power dynamics are really hard to comprehend. And he's like, I've got just the thing. So he whips out, out of nowhere, a book and on the cover are the words, human biology. So he's like, oh, you want to understand about like philosophical questions, the nature of power and how power corrupts. Here's a book on human biology, which I, I'm i not really getting the connection there. And he's like, this old girl, she taught me what it is to be human. He's like, have a read. And she's like, cool. Like he's just given her this big old chunky biology textbook and it took her days to read her mum's journal. Like I don't think she's going to be churning through that one. Sorry, sorry, Matthew. And so she's looking at the book and she says, he makes the acquisition of knowledge feel like a secret, a beautiful thing and an ancient thing. I feel like if I read this book, I can reach backward through all the generations of humanity to the very first one, that I can participate in something many times larger and older than myself. Yeah, you think that now, Dahl? but try and read one page of a biology textbook. You'll be falling asleep. So then we cut to, she's back into the hotel lobby. She goes into the dormitory and Caleb's in there alone. And so he looks at her and she looks at him and she's got this big old biology book and he's probably thinking, what's she doing with the fucking book? How'd she get that? He's probably jealous. And then Tris starts to feel bad. She's like, oh, I guess he should read the iPad. When really, I think Kayla would probably prefer to read the biology textbook, but she's like, all right, all right, I'll do the right thing. So she saunters on over. And he says, look, if you've got something to say, just say it. And she's like, okay, well, mum lived here. How about that? And I think that gooped him for a little bit. And she goes, she came from the fringe. They brought her here. She lived here for a couple of years. Okay, spoiler alert. And then she went into the city to stop the erudite from killing the Divergent. And she did a shit job of that, apparently. And he's just like, okay, info dump much. And she's like, here, it's all on the iPad. Have a read. And so Caleb goes, huh, how long have you known this? And she's like, "Ah." it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. I'm telling you now you can keep that by the way. I'm done with it. Okay. Well, it does matter, Tris. I don't think you get to decide whether or not the timeline matters. And so she thinks she was the only one with a little secret, but he goes, well, actually I've got something to show you too. It's about Edith Pryor. Come on. And so he starts to walk away and she follows and she says, it's her name, not my lingering attachment to him that draws me after him when he starts to walk away. It's like, well, yeah, I wasn't expecting you to be like, oh, thanks, Caleb. I'll just follow you because I like you. And it's like, it's, it's obviously you're just following him because he just mentioned he knows something about your ancestor. Like, okay, th- thanks for specifying why you followed him. So they go to a library, which uh, I don't know if she has a word for library. So So she explains it to us. She says, he led me down the hallway and around corners to a room far away from any that I have seen in the bureau. It is long and narrow, the walls covered with shelves that bear identical blue-gray books, thick and heavy as dictionaries. And between the first two rows is a long wooden table with chairs tucked beneath it. Yeah, bitch, it's a library. And he's like, oh, I've been spending a lot of time here. It's a library. It's a record room. They keep some of the Chicago experiment data in here. Okay, so she asks what I was thinking, being like, well, why don't they keep all this crap on computers? And so he says, I assume they kept these records before they developed a sophisticated security system on their network. What? Data never fully disappears, but paper can be destroyed forever, so you can actually get rid of it if you don't want people to get their hands on it. It's safer sometimes to have everything printed out. What? I just love that he's like mansplaining that paper can be destroyed. And because it can be destroyed, it's a better system than storing something electronically. Because this society in what, like 2,385 or whatever, haven't figured out a proper security system. They're afraid of hackers. And he's like, oh yeah, paper can be destroyed if they don't want the wrong people to get their hands on it. Meanwhile, he's been getting his hands on it. So, I. Paper, it's the way of the future. Guys, if you have trouble remembering your passwords, please write it down on a piece of paper and just put it on a little post-it, stick it near your computer. There you go, a little, little tip from Caleb Pryor to you. So then he's going through one of the books and she says, his green eyes shift back and forth as he searches for the right place. His fingers nimble, built for turning pages. Like that's a bad thing. She says, I think of how he disguised that part of himself. <laughs> that is." got nimble fingers, good for turning pages. He disguised that part of himself until he dropped his blood in the erudite water on the day of our choosing ceremony. She says, I should have known then that he was a liar with loyalty only to himself. Like he was complicit in her almost execution and she's more upset that he picked erudite than that. You know, let me die all you want, but how dare you pick erudite? She needs to let that go. Like, I think you're the one with the complex about it, with the obsession over it. If you're looking at his fingers being like, ah, they're erudite fingers built for turning pages. Disgusting. Take a chill pill, Tris. Take a freaking chill pill. And I know that this society has chill pills because the Amity compound feed their people chill pills. So take one. So while he's flipping pages of a book, she's disgusted. She's saying like, I can't even stand to be in this room with him. Like, ugh. And then he's like, oh, here it is. And so she looks and it's a copy of a contract. And so the contract reads I, Amanda Marie Ritter of Illinois, give my consent to the following procedures. So the first one, the genetic healing procedure, which is the genetically damaged crap, and the reset procedure, which is the memory erasing crap. She says, I agree to reproduce at least twice to give my corrected genes the best chance of survival, which is. Confusing because she doesn't have corrected genes. She's got the shitty old horrible genes. Uh, and also, if her memory's going to be wiped, she's not going to remember that she consented to having two kids. So I don't know how they enforce that. And then she says, I also give my consent for my children and my children's children, etc., to continue in this experiment until such time as the Bureau of Genetic Welfare deems it to be complete. I also don't think you can give consent to your children and your children's children, etc. I love that the contract just says, etc. Like da dot da 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 da. Fill in the blanks contract. And so Tris is like, oh my god, that's the woman who called herself Edith Pryor. That's my ancestor. And so Tris says, so she was dad's ancestor, remember because Pryor is an erudite name. <laughs> And apparently names don't follow you when you go from one faction to the other. So Priya is like a solely erudite name, even though it's her name and she was an abnegation. (sighs) Anyway, and he says, yes, seven generations back. So that's good. We finally got a timeline. Old mate Edith was seven generations back. That's a long ass time. It's a long time for, you know what I'm gonna say, for that Ferris wheel to still be operational that generator at the Hancock building still pumping the elevator up and down, that's a long time for all that infrastructure with no maintenance to still be kicking. The only thing in Chicago that's failed have been the subway brakes. Like the trains, brakes are kaput, but everything else after seven generations of no maintenance, still kicking. And Caleb says that she was one of the original experiment designers. So yeah, it's been seven generations. I'm glad we've got that timeline sorted out. And actually she might've been a genetically pure person who went in there to breed genetically pure people. I'm not too sure on it, honestly. And can you forgive me? It's been confusing as fuck. And so then Tris is thinking about how this bitch was really manipulative in that video. She's realizing, I think she already knew this, but she's just, well, she's reiterating that what Edith was saying in the video was intended to keep the people contained and dedicated to the vision of the Bureau. So Tris asks him being like, do you know why she joined? Because she assumes that something terrible must have happened to this Amanda person to convince her to wipe her memory. And Caleb says, nah, they're fairly vague on that. He says, most people join the experiment so their families could escape extreme poverty the families of the subjects were offered a monthly stipend for the subject's participation for upward of 10 years. Okay, that doesn't seem like a lot when she's just signed away the rights of her children and her children's children, etc. And yet the families on their outside are only getting 10 years of kickbacks. I don't know about that. Also, I would doubt that the, the kickbacks are actually kicking back. I don't trust this bureau. I highly doubt they're paying their debts. I don't trust them. But Caleb says that obviously wasn't Edith's motivation since she worked for the bureau I suspect something traumatic must have happened to her, something she was determined to forget, which is just what Triss was saying as well. And then Caleb says, I was interested in the legal precedent for giving consent on behalf of one's descendants. And he says, I think it's an extrapolation of giving consent for one's children under 18, but it seems a little odd. Yeah, it does seem a little bit odd, Caleb. You really cracked the code on that one, bud. But then Triss for some reason has to justify it or try to justify it. And she says, I guess we all decide our children's fates just by making our own life decisions, What? She says, would we have chosen the same factions we did if mum and dad hadn't chosen abnegation? I don't know. Maybe we wouldn't have felt as stifled. Maybe we would have become different people. So she's arguing that because she exhibited free will, by making a choice different than what her parents wanted. That's actually an example of predetermined fate? What the fuck is she trying to say here? Oh, because of my parents, I chose Dauntless, even though they didn't want me to choose Dauntless. Through their actions, my fate was decided, even though I had a choice in that moment and just made a split decision to pick Dauntless over abnegation. She was confused herself. I, I don't know why she feels compelled to try and reason out everything with her dumb logic. Like, when are you gonna wake up and realize that none of this is making sense? Something's rotten in the state of Denmark slash Chicago airport. Wake up and smell the genetic damage. Get out of there. Stop listening to what these people are saying and taking it as fact. So her and Caleb are sort of getting along and then she looks at him and she's like, oh, wait a minute, you almost had me killed at Erudite headquarters. I forgot that I hated you. So then she tries to bring it back to how she hates Erudite. And she's like, Edith joined Erudite, didn't she? even though she took an abnegation name. Oh, so it's a fucking abnegation name. I swear to God. I, I. He says, yeah, even though she had an abnegation name, she picked a different faction. Who would have fucking thought? And he says, actually, in fact, most of our ancestors were an erudite. He says there were a few abnegation outliers, one or two candor, but the through line is fairly consistent. And so she's like, obviously repulsed by that. She's like, "Ugh." Uh, a whole family of erudite people, yuck. And so then she says, so I suppose you've used this as an excuse in your twisted mind for what you did for joining erudite. It's like, whoa, okay. Again, I thought you were gonna be mad at him for the whole almost getting you executed thing. But no, you're mad at him for picking erudite. Even though you just alluded to the fact that maybe it was his fate to pick erudite. (laughs) Maybe there was no free will involved with him picking erudite, but she's like, ha, that's how you justify it, you piece of scum. So she's got a lot of feelings she needs to work through because she's been quite unreasonable. Yes, he almost got her killed, blah, blah, blah. But like, get over it. Not the killing you thing, but get over the picking erudite thing. I think she's just annoyed that her family are full of erudite people. And she's like, fine then. Now that I know about Edith and you know about our mother, good, let's just leave it at that then. And I don't know why she's so pressed that they were all pretty much in erudite because the standard that was told to us was that 95% of people picked the faction that they were born in. Which is why it was so fucking crazy town that she picked a different faction. That was the whole big thing in Divergent, wasn't it? And the fact that she made that choice, everyone was like, what, how could you do that? She just did that to him. She just said, what, you picked a different faction, how could you do that? So is it that surprising? that a family would tend to stay within the faction that they were born into. It's not that surprising to me. But now she's gonna be worried that she's got erudite genes. Ah, oh, it all comes back to the genes. So she runs back to the dormitory. She just runs off in a tiz. And Tobias is there and he's like, you good? And she's like, nah. And so then she like kisses him. I don't know why I, like having a little fight or conversation with her brother has just turned her on so much. And he starts to push her away, but then he's like, ah, oh, no, screw it. So then he starts to kiss back. And she says, we haven't been alone together in days, weeks, months. Bitch, you were on top of the Jay Pritzker Pavilion just, just a few days ago. You've been getting nookie wherever you could. And she's like, we haven't been together in months. I don't know about that, Tris." So then they're just kissing in the dorm. And she says, in that moment, I know exactly what I want. I want to peel away all the layers of clothing between us, strip away everything that separates us, the past and the present and the future. It's like, okay, so you want to bang? Like, I get it. But then she hears footsteps coming down through the hallway. She hears Uriah. She hears Christina. And then Uriah and Christina walk into the dorm. And then, like, that's it. So I guess they don't go to Pound Town because they got interrupted. And that's the end of the chapter. What a what a lovely note to end on. Very heartwarming. So is it getting any clearer for you guys? Another chapter down. I'm still confused. If you can answer any of these questions that I have or correct me on where I've gone wrong because I'm clearly half wrong because none of it's making fucking sense. Let me know and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks.